I'm pretty sure, at some point, we've all developed a love for something that meant we've had to give it a go ourselves. It could be learning to play guitar, trying your hand at making pizza, or even the dreaded darling of lockdown life, banana bread. And in the world of beer, it comes as no surprise that many of us have dabbled with a spot of homebrewing. For some, that hobby acts as a catalyst, leading to a career in professional brewing further down the line. And of course, switching professions is one of life's big events. Very few of us would have made such a move during a global pandemic, or at least planned to. However, the same can't be said for Danny Tapper, founder of The Beak Brewery in Lewis, East Sussex. Hello, and welcome to the Brewer's Journal podcast. My name is Tim Sheehan, editor of the Brewer's Journal. It's nearly one year to the day since Boris Johnson, the UK Prime Minister, took to the airwaves to inform viewers that life as we knew it was about to change. From that point on, you could only shop for basic necessities. Exercise was limited to one form a day, travel was restricted for essential work only, and ultimately, people of the UK were told to stay at home. The perfect time then, to be opening up your own brewery. But that's exactly the situation that Danny Tapper, founder of Lewis-based Beak Brewery, found himself in. In this podcast, we speak to Danny and Beak's head brewer, Robin Head Foreman, about building a brewery during lockdown, the approach to the beers that they produce, engaging with the local community, and the invaluable role bottle shops have played during Beak's journey during the last 12 months. In the wonderful world of journalism, there are many, many different beats. Some, arguably, are more glamorous than others. But speaking from personal experience, regardless of which industry you write about, you will be privileged to meet fascinating characters and hear their engrossing stories. As an editor, author and writer, Danny Tapper covered food and drink. As I said, some beats are more glamorous than others. And for somebody who had already developed a passion for all things beer, a career in journalism only helped crystallise his love of this brilliant beverage. Yeah, like it's funny because a lot of people who are finding out about Beak now are like really interested in its past. And I think like part of the reason is it's it has quite like a mysterious past because some like quite a lot, well not quite a lot, but people in the industry have probably like heard of the Beak and had the Beak's beers for the last four years. But very, very few people, it was really niche. Um, I was doing it in my spare time and I was probably doing like two or three brews a year. So I was working as a full-time journalist at the time. Um, And so whenever I had a bit of spare time or money, I would be like, okay, let's just go and visit a friend's brewery and do a batch of beer. But the trouble with nomadic brewing is you essentially, the reason more people don't do it is you probably lose money on every batch you do. Or maybe maybe that was just me being a bad <laughs> business person. <laughs> but like by the time you fe- factor in the cost of like doing all the research and the planning and the branding, and then you have to pay to borrow the kit, and then like you have to do your own distribution. Yeah. By the time you've done all that, you've kind of lost money. So in a way, it's kind of a way of getting the brand out and developing recipes and making contacts. And so, yeah, the Beat Brew is a nomadic project for about four years. 
and I was already quite involved in the beer scene because I'm from Leeds originally and they've got a really, really good beer scene there and just got to know people by just talking to them and eventually people like Northern Monk and North Bruco started letting me use their kits. But yeah, that's how it was for four years. It was just really, really intermittent brews, uh, very niche beers. Uh, and attending uh, small uh, beer festivals. But then about a year and a half ago, I was like, right, I really, really want to turn this into a more kind of sustainable project where we can actually make beer that will make a bit of profit and maybe get our own kit. So got a little bit of investment together and yeah, raised the money for a brewery here in Lewis. But yeah, it took all in all probably about four and a half to five years before I got to that stage. So it was quite a quite a long-winded project. But it's pretty funny now because quite a lot of people who are starting to drink our beers think it's a new new project. And I, I've been hanging around doing this for, <laughs> for ages. But long before brewing batches at professional breweries became a reality, Danny learned the ropes by drinking bitter growing up. Yeah, look, well, my, my passion for beer like comes from sitting in stone-flagged pubs in Yorkshire with my family uh, like we never used to eat at restaurants as a family we always used to go to pubs and yeah so just my granddad got me really into drinking bitter uh, and then at school uh, like me and my friends had this real ale club where we'd go around all the local pubs rating pints of real ale out of five I guess it was like untapped before the internet <laughs> um, and so we were just I've always been into real ale and then started homebrewing. And when I started homebrewing, it was, I guess, like American pale ales were coming in. That was when Colonel were making it quite big. And yeah, I was just trying to recreate Evan's beers on homebrew kit, basically. Uh, Not always getting very close, but it was enjoyable nonetheless. But yeah, basically it all comes from homebrewing, essentially, and that's how I learned about beer. While Danny knows a thing or two about brewing, Big Brewery would need a head brewer of its own. That's where Robin Head Foreman came in. Danny just needed to leave London life first. I So I lived in London for 10 years when I was working as a journalist. And me and my wife, like towards the end of it, we were getting sick of living in a city. So we just started going out to the South Downs, like exploring, doing a bit of walking. And then we came to, I don't know if you know that Lewis is really famous for its bonfire. So they have this massive uh, bonfire event um, where, you know, they get tens of thousands of people down here. The streets are just absolutely mad. People setting off fireworks left, right and center. It's just like, it's carnage. Um, And so me me and my wife came down for that and just absolutely fell in love with the town. And basically there and then we were like, we don't know anyone in this town, but let's just move here. So we started looking on Zoopla and found a house. <laughs> and that was about it. We just moved it. Literally knew no one, but a friend of ours, mutual friend, Johnny Hamilton, who was the head brewer at the Tempest project at Beavertown then, he was like, oh, you should speak to my friend Robin, who lives in Lewis. He's a beer nerd as well. Like, you should chat. And then... Yeah, he, yeah, he just messaged me saying the same thing. He was like, oh, my mate, uh, my mate Danny's just moved to Lewis. He should... Um, yeah, he's in the beer, you should just hang out with him. And then I think we went to the patch at like a local little beer bar and just had a good night of it, getting pretty uh, <laughs> pretty merry. Um, and then, 
yeah, there was a lot of talk of new brewery possibly opening, and I think there was a lot, a lot of like shared interest definitely between sort of what we wanted to do. As talk of Danny's plans gathered pace, the idea of location and the brewery's future role in the Lewis community were top of the agenda. Even just thinking back to like a year and a half ago when like I remember chatting with Robin in, in the patch uh, about setting this up, it almost seems like decades ago just because so, so much ago. work has yeah. gone into planning this. But also because at the time like we had no idea if like that whole craft beer culture even existed in Lewis and whether there were other people out there who felt the same way. So this like town is obviously dominated by Harvey's and there's a really there's a really great pub scene here but it's very traditional. So it it feels like a whole different world ago because like right now at the tap room, you know, we're we're now getting loads of support from local people. Lewis is just like a hotbed of like craft beer culture and everyone's getting behind it. But like a year and a half ago it just did not feel like that. At we all. we were quite I guess quite cautious about what we thought the chat room could be. Like when we were talking about it and when when we initially saw the like the, the unit that we're in now, which is sort of about 10, 15 minutes walk from the center of Lewis, we were thinking like, you know, I remember you asking Danny saying like, oh, do you think people will come out here? And I kind of be thinking like, oh, I don't know, maybe, maybe, I don't know. Like it's a great place for a brewery, but I don't know if people will make the trip out. Like I've heard a lot of Lewis people saying, oh, it's, you know, it's a long walk. How long? Oh, it's 10 minutes. You know, as as you do in a small town, but the yeah, it's been completely the opposite of that. We, yeah, I think it was talked packed. at one point of like someone suggesting we should put a minibus service on, like yes, <laughs> and it's like it's like a ten minute walk. Yeah. In London, no one would think twice about walking ten minutes, but here it just seems like a bit of a leap to leave the town centre. Yeah, yeah. Well, I guess there's so much to offer in the town centre that it it is putting, uh, putting your neck out a bit by yeah, doing, yeah, yeah, doing it so far out. These concerns would be easily allayed when the brewery eventually opened its doors to the public in the middle of August 2020. Anticipation that perhaps 20 people would visit over a weekend instead changed to how they could accommodate 200 plus that descended on the brewery. Firstly, patrons enjoyed many of the beers brewed by head brewer Robin, who had previously spent four years working at the venerable Burning Sky. I've sort of been brewing beer since... Well, well before it was legal for me to brew beer uh, or drink beer. So I, can't, I think I convinced my dad that it would be a great uh, sort of science project and that I might get a lot of learning out of this. And in a way, I guess it has turned out quite well in that respect. Um, but yeah, so maybe, you know, as, as a kind of late teenager, I convinced him, yeah, I should really get a home brew kit, dad, and, and do this. And went down to what was at the time, you know, it was before home brewing kind of took off up in Edinburgh and, you know, really small little home brew shop. Got your little kit, little can of, of extract. So went through that whole home brewing journey, I guess as so many professional brewers have, um, but then wanted to really actually professionalize it. And living in Edinburgh, obviously, there's the Harriet Watt Institute for Brewing and Distilling there. So did my did my master's there. And then during the master's, I was in contact with Mark and did a bit of work experience with him and then ended up working there for about uh, what was it yeah about four and a half years with mark which as a first job out of uni couldn't really have asked for a better better training or or sort of a better better tutor or mentor robin learned a great deal during his time at burning sky teachings he's taken with him on the next stage of his brewing career 
I think it's I think um, a sort of respect for quality, a respect for consistency, and um, you know, but within that being quite playful and, and quite experimental. You know, a lot of Mark's beers have like quite a refinement to them. So I guess yeah, the th thing I sort of wanted to take from that was certainly like just absolutely nailing that quality and consistency. But like you know, you can be very playful within that, and, and you can sort of break some of the rules. Um, within that you know Mark when he set up was doing a lot of mix room stuff which no no one was really doing that much of so I think that sort of was like you know you need to put yourself out there and maybe do things a little bit differently and, and take a chance and I think if you do something you know with integrity and put put that into it then then it speaks for itself really. While the latest chapter of the Beak story was already being written when Robin joined his expertise as head brewer was integral when it came to kitting out their new site in Sussex. So when we met, you'd already done quite a bit of the planning mm -hmm. um, and sort of we were looking for various sites. And then I, I was, I guess, looking for sort of the next step in my career. Um, I, I think I'd put, so I put in quite a lot of the groundwork in yeah, terms yeah. of like the financial side of it, yeah. really, and like the branding and, and the business model and, things like that and then when Robin got involved Robin really like took over the kind of production side of things and started you know really like planning like the brewery we needed for the kind of beers we wanted to make and started putting everything all of that side because I, I really hadn't I'd done very like basic planning in that respect but yeah Robin obviously has loads of experience actually working in commercial breweries full-time so yeah, you were kind of able to like mm. jump in and take over that side of things. Yeah, that was a that was a steep learning curve in and of itself. Having never, you seem to like what you do. Well, <laughs> no, you know, I'm glad I got glad I came across like that. But no, I mean, you know, it was my first time designing and building a production brewery, um, and it's very different when you know things in theory and you know you need X Y Z to actually doing it, you know, sorting out technical drawings, working out different contractors, all of that sort of thing. Um, it's a completely different ball game. And then, you know, throwing a, a global pandemic into the mix, it, um, it was certainly a fun setup phase and a fun, fun build up. And when it came to specifying the new brew house, Beak would work with Derbyshire based fabricator Malrex. Yeah, so I mean, Malrex are, are great. Obviously they've been in the, doing, doing building kits for ages so they were a lot of help in terms of actually helping us specify and help, helping me design it it's certainly one thing doing it in theory to actually doing it in practice um and it's quite difficult as well to sort of conceptualize oh how will i actually use this and not just me but you know other members of staff how will they use this kit how does the flow work so it's all in all worked out really well it's a really solid kit actually so we've just gone for like a three vessel brew house quite an oversized mash tun just because we we're doing quite a lot of six percent plus beers um so for the size of the kit we've actually we can fit about 1.2 1.25 tons of grain in the mash tun if we really fill it pretty full so we can get imperial stouts out full mash all barley so we don't have to do any adjuncts on that which is i think yeah quite important for for the types of beers i was wanting to make um and then yeah, just a big whirlpool where we can where we can get loads of hops in, and yeah, just stand, standard conical fermenters really. But um, yeah, it was nice to be able to actually lay it out and go, okay, this is this is what we want to do, and this is this is how we want to use it. Um, 
and so far it seems to be doing the job. So yeah, quite pleased with it. Beak's new kit was installed in the months from April to July last year, a process that had started shortly after the country had gone into lockdown. Yeah, so yeah. When, we, when, when we signed for the unit originally, so we signed for the unit and then two weeks later, Boris announced lockdown. And so, you know, we just signed like a 10-year lease for a building, you know, like 30,000 a year, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. I just handed in my notice. Robin had <laughs> quite a secure job. And then it was like a lockdown and every pub in the UK was closed. Yeah. And we were like, great. <laughs> <laughs> However... The team approached the situation in diplomatic fashion, buoyed by pre-sale interest in their new beer. Yeah, we just put one foot in front of the other and we were like, well, we've, we've got this far, let's just keep going. Yeah, I think there was a, about, well, for me at least, there was maybe sort of a week of, you know, I'd also, at that time, I'd, I'd had to isolate so I'd got ill, but like a week before lockdown. So I was just stuck in my house for two weeks. And being at that time stuck in your house and watching all the news was like, yeah, a bit, um, a bit terrifying. So there was a few days of sort of, oh no, maybe this is all the wrong idea. Yeah. Um, and then I think we sort of started realizing, you know, there was a lot of, well, new barns had just set up and they'd had a really successful launch with all their canned mm-hmm. beers and really great support. And that gave us a big confidence boost, actually. I think that, yeah, for um, me, the biggest boost was like the pre-sales. Yeah. So we did a, we brewed a batch of Parade, which is our like house citrus mosaic New England IPA. And we brewed that at Kindly Mark, like let us brew it at Burning Sky. And we did a, so we did a pre-sale of it and it just like went mental and sold out yeah. straight away. Yeah. And for us, that was not only a boost in terms of cash flow, but just getting that like, just seeing the enthusiasm for that beer just was like, right, we can do this. Parade is a 6% IPA that features Citra, Mosaic and Idaho 7, showcasing mango, orange peel, pineapple and ripe flat peaches. It's a hop forward beer and a good indicator of Beak's core output. It's also a beer that allowed Robin to express himself, especially at a time where pleasures such as travel were off limits. So, I mean, I think we, we really wanted to, uh, so, so many breweries say this, but we really wanted to focus on these sort of hop forward styles as the core. Um, but I've got a big love of, you know, lager and all, all sorts of other beer styles, obviously. But I would guess in terms of conceptually, how do we, how do we approach them? It's, that's quite a difficult question really, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I'm this I one. would say, like, if I may yeah, yeah, jump in, I like, I would say, well, Robin is quite quite a good cook, <laughs> very good cook, very into cooking, and my background is in writing about food. And I think like we're together seem to be interested in beer, not just for the sake of beer, but from a flavour perspective. Mm. And so, like as well as beer, we're both kind of into like natural wine and cooking and sake and so it's just like it's not just about beer so like i think in terms of like the kind of beers we like to make it it all has to be about that experience of flavor and aroma and what works and it's not just about like let's make a really incredibly hoppy beer i would say yeah i would say i I certainly want to make beers that people can enjoy together and talk about you know there's there's something that is interesting enough that you can go, oh, have you, you know, you had a sip of that? What's going on in there? Like, oh, that's interesting. And something that gives it just a bit more intrigue than, yeah, that's an IPA. Um, 
So like strangers, which I kind of came up with like just as we were coming out of lockdown, the first lockdown, and I saw it just you know looking at like oh look at all these amazing places we could go on holiday if only, and I had this idea of like you know nice tropical cocktails on a beach or something, and we used like Sabro Mosaic and a bit of Idaho Seven, and it was like I don't know for me it sounds a bit a bit self-indulgent but for me it was more like oh this beer is me thinking about what holiday might kind of smell like and while hazy hop forward beers underpin much of what beak do they also love beers of all styles and look forward to offering drinkers a myriad of flavors i really wanted the i guess the sort of professional challenge of brewing a, a solid lager but also i just really love a good a good lager and there's not that many produce i mean harvey's obviously don't really produce any any lagers it just seemed like a one of those things where it's like a nice offset to these really sort of really fruit forward juicy new england ipas and it just seemed like a nice contrast to have this like crisp no nonsense you know noble hot uh check pilsner so i guess it's yeah it's it's just a nice kind of balance, like, a nice counterbalance yeah, to exactly. it, you know? Yeah. And like, I think like at the end of the day, we are really into beer and it's not just about New England IPAs. And if you're into <laughs> beer, like you tend to be interested in all different beer styles, you know? And like, there is going to be a time and I don't know when it will be, but there will be a time when, believe it or not, New England IPAs are not the most fashionable drink and not the most in-demand drink. So like, we don't want to just pigeon pigeonhole ourselves into mm. making those kinds of beers, even yeah. though, like, let's, you know, let's not beat around the bush. They are, they account for a massive amount of our sales, and we, we love, like, IPAs so much. But ultimately, like, you don't want to just, like, pigeonhole yourself too much. Mm. You want to, like, keep playing around with different styles, and, you know, that's what keeps it interesting. For Robin, this means brewing more lagers and also more mixed fermentation beers. Yeah, so I mean, definitely we'll be doing some other lagers. So I was, I've got this sort of slightly nebulous at the moment idea of doing quite a hoppy, um, maybe like 6% sort of spe- special, special kind of style. Obviously not quite nailed that one down yet. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll certainly be doing a lot of like rustic style lagers, um, uh, all unfiltered. And in terms of the barrels, that is going to be a project that I'm hoping sort of late this year we'll start to see come the very first uh, shoots of it come to fruition. So we've got at the moment just a really modest like six barrels and just a, a stainless steel cube that we're aging some mixed firm saison in. Um, so we're going to be looking at like blending with some local fruits, uh, doing a few different barrel expressions, and then in time we're looking at still getting a like a concrete fooder. Um, so I wanted something with, with the concrete that would sort of match the history of the estate. So the, the industrial estate where we are actually used to be a cement factory mined from the um, from the chalk cliffs there. And it just sort of quite, I don't know, it quite nicely matches this, like these big imposing cliffs behind the brewery and the fact that we're just on an industrial estate. It seemed a bit, I don't know, it seemed, seemed a bit strange to have these very like, Belgian rustic fooders when let's embrace where we are and who we are. And I think it should add a nice like minerality and cleanness to, the, to those beers. So that's, that's where I see that going um, in the future, yeah. And regardless of the beers they're producing, one thing is clear. 
And that's the way the team values bottle shops, the local community, and the role that they've played in the brewery's story so far. I think we're selling between 80 and 90% direct at the moment. And most of that, we're really lucky, is going to bottle shops. And I don't know, like, I think independent bottle shops are the absolute savior of Mm. the craft beer industry throughout this whole lockdown. I'm surprised, like, more hasn't been said about that because for us, literally, if if bottle shops didn't exist, we wouldn't be open right now. Um, Obviously, like, we love pubs, you know, so much. uh, But, you know, the fact is, with every single pub in the UK closed at the moment, there's not really a lot they can do. Um, so yeah, like in terms of our like customer community, it's like at the moment it's pretty much all bottle shops, mm. and then we're working with some really great distributors too, like Cave and Pixar. But yeah, moving forwards, obviously we're going to be pushing more towards pubs. Uh, like the tap room is really really important. We're getting like Robin said earlier, we're getting like about two to three hundred people every weekend, which is really nice. And the local community here have just been like absolutely amazing um, and, you know, continuing to order our beer throughout lockdown. So, you know, me, Robin and Kat, our operations manager, are out in our own cars every Friday doing, you know, dozens and dozens of deliveries around Lewis and Brighton. So that that as well has been an absolute saviour. I think one one thing on the on the deliveries that I've noticed that just goes to show, especially in Lewis, like how uh, kind of vital that community is it's like so one week you'll go in you'll deliver to one house in a little cul-de-sac and then the next week you'll go in and there'll be four people like four people will have ordered and they'll go oh james you get your beer delivery and it's like oh and that sort of thing is just completely invaluable yeah. Like yeah when they open the door and they're just like yes it's <laughs> and i've got fresh beer yeah yeah it's pretty great and fresh beer is one of life's great pleasures but nearly a year on since getting the keys to the site it's safe to say the duo are looking forward to a time, once again, where they can enjoy a beautiful pint. I like from a personal perspective, I think there's loads to be excited about because, mm. you know, right now, hopefully this is like the worst point, hopefully for us. I mean, we, we don't know anything other than lockdown. So all we've ever known is lockdown. So I'm kind of just hoping that if anything, things will maybe get easier from spring onwards but it's so hard to say but you know we've we've had it so difficult from the get-go i think i just i can't help but think it's going to get easier yeah i I would say i'm the same i'm I'm quietly optimistic about yeah it has it sort of has to get better really it can only get better i mean i can't really see a way that the market or the the, the landscape can get worse so in terms of that i mean i'm excited to see our beer in in pubs, see pints of it, um, it'll be great. The Brewers Journal podcast is a production of Reby Media, produced and hosted by me, Tim Sheehan. Sound engineering by Ross McPherson. Series supervision is by John Young. The executive producer is Rory Harris. And special thanks to Danny Tapper and Robin Headforman at Beak Brewery.